continue. Lord, we bless you. Yeah, we keep we keep saying that only you are king. So if you've had your cup of tea, you can come back in and, and we can start. Thanks, team. Done a great job. Yeah, so if you're joining us now, if you've come in now or you're joining online now, uh, my name is Edgar. I am the lead pastor and it's an honor to be sharing Easter Sunday with you. Um, so if you don't know this ancient greeting, I'm just going to walk you through it. I'm going to say he is risen and you're going to say back he is risen indeed. We're going to use that old English word that no one ever uses anymore. But Easter gives us an opportunity to do that. So he is risen. Awesome. Okay, we, we get in the groove of it. Let's try that again. He is risen. Amen. So Jesus has conquered the grave. So for a long time, um, uh, I've, been, I've been telling us throughout this series, for a long time, um, Easter was the most celebrated uh, season in the Christian calendar. Uh, it, it was bigger than Christmas. Um, okay, it's, it's new. Give me a moment. I'm going I'm, I'm to get, get, get on with it. <laughs> yes. Now, and, and that's, that's what it means to be community, so that's okay. Don't be bothered when our kids are, are shouting in their father's house. Um, they are home just like we are, and so we get to figure out what that looks like all together. So uh, for a long time, Christmas was bigger, uh, Easter was bigger than Christmas because all these things were leading up to this point, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The reason Jesus came was so that he could die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day. And, and I've often said that the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, I, I, I'm inviting you to look at it as one event with two sides. It's a two-sided single event. It's not one, it's, it's not defeat and then victory. Rather, the entirety of it is victory. Jesus has become king on the, on the cross and through his resurrection. Uh, the kingdoms of the world are now the kingdoms of our God. Not after resurrection, but on the death, uh, as he dies on the cross and through his resurrection. This is what... Uh, this is what the church called a uh, Christus Victor. Christ is Victoria, uh, victorious. <laughs> oh my word. That did not just... <laughs> okay, Christ is victorious. And um, yeah, it's the final blow. <laughs> it's the final blow against death. It's the final blow against sin. It's the final blow against the world. It's the final blow against the flesh. It's the final blow against the devil. In the cross, in the death on the cross and resurrection, we have victory. And so we're finally coming to an end of a series that has taken us 10 weeks. Y'all are patient. That's amazing. 
and you know it's it's been a series on spiritual warfare fighting the flesh fighting the 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 world the ways of the world and fighting the devil and if you've forgotten it all you can go back online but I'll just give a very quick recap the devil is real there are real spiritual entities and, and God in his wisdom created them and some now act against God and against our good. They can afflict human beings and nature either directly or indirectly, overtly or subtly. They are real and just, just like germs, just because you don't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they cannot act against you. Then, oh wow. I am in a little bit of trouble. Oh, yeah, it's working. Okay. And then, and, and then uh, uh, there, there is the ways of the world. Uh, the ways of our world are opposed to the ways of Jesus. The ways of doing things in our families and in our secular world are, rarely will invite you to follow Jesus. There, there is part of our world that is ruled by Satan. The cultures of this world will not draw you closer to Jesus. The world will keep saying to you, it's Jesus and, I mean, you could be a follower of Jesus and you could still do this. The world will keep telling you that, by the way, nobody has to know. The world will keep telling you that everyone else is doing this, why not you? The world will keep telling you that you can decide what is good and what is bad, that you can redefine morality for yourself. That is, those are the ways of the world and they're, and they're opposed to the ways of Jesus. And then there's a part of us that is turned away from God, which is called the flesh. It is the seat of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It is where, it is where there's the desire for me to fulfill all my appetites and desires at any cost. It is where uh, uh, there's greed for you to get anything you find attractive at any cost. It is where uh, part of you believes the lie that you get to define what is right and what is wrong. And, and that's the flesh. And, and so this is how the three work together. The devil tells us lies. Sometimes you hear lies in your heads like, oh my word. The devil tells lies that play to our disordered desires, our disordered loves. There's something in me, there's something in you that actually likes the lies the devil tells, that actually wants those lies to be true. So the devil tells lies that are attractive to us, and these lies are, are, are often normalized in the society around us. Um, uh, the society around us calls it normal. The society around us tells us that everyone is doing it. The society around us, around us tells us that it's, it's, it's none of anyone's business. They can shut up about it. And so, and so the devil tells lies that play to our disordered uh, desires that are normalized in our society. That's how the three work together, the three enemies of our soul. And Jesus, Paul, and Peter, and the early fathers of the church constantly taught that we must die to the world, we must die to the flesh, we must die to the devil. There's no other way if we're following Jesus. And so today what I want us to do is talk about the man who conquered the devil. Because sometimes it can feel like we're constantly in battle. And sometimes people can get discouraged. Will I ever win? You know, why, why does it just always feel like you're exhausted? Why does it feel like uh, nothing is letting in? Why does it feel like 
sometimes that we're constantly under attack. And it's easy to then feel like there is no victory. So today we'll focus on the man who conquered the devil. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. And we receive your love for us. We receive your victory. We receive your hope. We receive your promise. And we also receive your invitation to follow you. Come and speak to us. Come and do what only you can do. So before we talk about the man who conquered the devil, I'm not, I'm not going back on my promise. We will. I just want to build it up. So before we talk about the man who conquered the devil, I want us to go to, a, uh, to, to the story of a different man. The first encounter, the first uh, 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 na narrative of spiritual warfare. And that's in Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, of the, a, a tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree uh, that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that if you eat from, the, uh, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave uh, some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now... So, the human be uh, so these are the chosen human beings, and, and, and there's a showdown with the enemy. This is the first uh, encounter, humanity's encounter with spiritual warfare. But there are no bullets, there are no swords, uh, it's just ideas. The devil traffics in ideas that don't correspond to reality, what we called lies early on in this series. And, and they look, uh, and, and this is the strategy of the hostile one, or the devil, or, or Satan, if you want. The strategy of the hostile one is to lie. To lie about the nature of God, to lie about the nature of humanity, and then to lie about morality. And one of the lies he tells about morality is that you get to decide what's good and what's wrong. And that's what the world keeps doing right now. But right before he lies, I want us to realize what he does. He plates Eve presence of God. He, he creates doubt in Eve's mind about God. I, God, can you really trust God? Basically, that's what, that's what that question does. Can, I don't think you can trust God. He doesn't want the best for you. That's the lie he tells, isolating Eve from, from the presence of God by attacking God's identity and consequently Eve's identity. Because what we think about God determines what you think about yourself determines what you think about others, and then determines what ideas you have about what is good and what is wrong. Then he isolates Eve from her primary uh, uh, community, Adam. So once Eve is away from the Spirit of God, once Eve is away from, from her, her primary community, there are no other voices for her to hear other than the lies of the enemy. She is now ripe to be lied to. This, is, this has nothing to do with gender. This isn't about Eve being weak or when, this has nothing to do with gender. This is what the enemy does. I don't think Adam would have done any better. Actually, he didn't. 
What the enemy will always do is isolate you from the Spirit of God, isolate you from community, and then you are, when there are no other voices, you're ripe for the, for the lies of the enemy. You see, the enemy knows something very well, that formation, how we are formed into the image of God is through presence and truth. It's through spirit and truth. And so the only way for him to get at us is to isolate us, then lie to us. That way we get deformed uh, into, into his image. I, I, I feel confident in arguing that some of your biggest regrets, some of my biggest regrets, you are alone or you are in the presence of a very, very, in the presence of very bad company. And then every lie you'd have been told, every lie you told yourself, just made sense. Rarely do you, do you end up, you know, robbing the bank if any of you has done that. Uh, and you are just sitting with your family having dinner and, you know, just praising Jesus together. And then went, oh, why don't we rob a bank? Now, some families might do that, but, you know. The, the enemy will isolate you from, from the Spirit of God, isolate you from community, and then you're ripe for lies. That's why the COVID lockdowns were disastrous. Um, you know, suicide rates went up. Because when, once we were isolated from community and with no other voice to speak to us, the enemy could say anything. This is the reason Jesus comes to us as a man and a teacher. Not, not man. Okay, let me not get distracted. This is the reason Jesus comes as human and as a teacher. Why? That is presence. He's present with us. And then he's teaching, giving us truths, giving us ideas, giving us new paradigms for which we must live life. It is spirit and truth. This is why when Jesus senses the gift of the Holy Spirit, he calls him the, the spirit of truth. It is the presence of God and he is the spirit of truth. This is why the church is called the body of Christ because we've got to always be around Jesus if we're going to be formed into the image of God. We cannot, we cannot follow Jesus if, we, if, we're, not, if we're not a people of hosting the presence of God. We cannot follow Jesus if we're not a people of, of, of community. Being with God and being with community. This is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. If you're going to be present with Jesus, we must learn to be both in communal worship and in small group, and we must learn to constantly receive the Holy Spirit, and we must learn to be found in truth. So Jesus comes to us, and Paul calls him a second Adam. He's able to accomplish what the first Adam didn't accomplish. He's able to crush the head of the snake, what the first Adam couldn't want to do, uh, sorry, couldn't do. So I want us to look at his encounter with the devil. So Luke 4, 1 to 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I might argue very hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And that continues. He comes out to him again and Jesus quotes scripture. The devil quotes scripture back. It's back and forth. It's back and forth. And then the enemy loses his first battle, but he still keeps coming. 
So Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, God himself has a, has a showdown with the devil. Second Adam has a showdown with the devil just like the first Adam did. Do you realize it wasn't just three times. Luke says he was tempted the entire 40 days. Spiritual battle is real, whether you're the son of God, whether you're a teacher, whether you're, you're a musician, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a missionary, whether you're a student. Spiritual warfare is real and the enemy will keep coming at you, will keep coming at you. And when he leaves, he's just getting some water and then he wants to try again. And so the devil keeps attacking Jesus. The devil keeps attacking Jesus. And do you realize it's the same thing? He doesn't come with, with weapons, guns, and, and, and swords. And No, he comes again with ideas. With ideas. And the first thing he does, just like the first time, he attacks identity. He asks Jesus, are you really the son of God? If you are the son of God. Essentially what he's saying, can you really trust God to back up his claims about you. Right before this scene, Jesus has just been baptized and God has publicly declared Jesus' identity. Jesus heard it and everybody around them heard it. And the first question the enemy asks is, can, if you are the son of God, if he's attacking God's identity, can, can you trust God to back up his his, his, uh, his promises to you. Can you trust God to back up what he says about you? Because what we think about God will determine what we think about ourselves, our identity, will determine what, we, determine what we think about others, about the world, and about what is right and wrong. And I'm just wondering, have you ever realized that sometimes I, I don't want to, I've lived a very short life, so I don't want to make like a, an overarching argument. But sometimes some of your worst attacks will come right on the heels of experiencing God so powerfully. Sometimes your worst attacks will come right after you think you heard God so clearly. The hardest times I had last year were just after... After I, I, I felt God had called me out of the boat and very uh, uh, big things. Uh, part of it was taking over the leadership of the vineyard movement in Kenya and a few other personal things. And I knew what I heard, I'd heard God say. And, and people who loved me and, and, and people who I trust as spiritual authorities over me had confirmed what God had spoken. I was like, yes, we're going in. And then everything comes crumbling down and you're going, did God really speak what am i doing here hi mikey you know what am i doing here and does god keep his word does god keep his this is essentially what the enemy is doing with jesus can you trust what god says about you and he's sowing seeds of doubt about god's identity and consequently about jesus's identity now i want us to talk about a few differences between this encounter of the first Adam and the, uh, of the second Adam to that of the first Adam with the devil. The first Adam was in a garden. Jesus is in a desert, representing just humanity's, uh, uh, human beings' exile from the garden. Very different. 
The first Adam was eating, probably drinking too, from every fruit in the garden, including that one that they were told not to eat from. Jesus, the second Adam, is fasting. He's starving his flesh. He's not fulfilling the desires of his, of his appetite. He's not... He, he, uh, he, He's, he's denying his flesh and depending on the Holy Spirit to feed him. The first Adam was away from God. They were listening to that lie, that question, can we really trust what God told us? And even after this whole debacle, the first thing they do is run away from God. They run away from the very presence of God. The second Adam, Jesus, is found in prayer, constantly in communion with the Father. Jesus is, is actually full of the Holy Spirit and following the lead of the Holy Spirit. Very different. The first Adam believes a lie. He's given an idea, and he goes, well, you know what? This looks good for my appetites, the stomach, food, the flesh, and I think I am wise enough, I, I can determine that this is good for me, this is good for wisdom. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, doesn't buy into these lies. Instead, he, he speaks out God's word. He speaks out scripture. And, 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 the, and the enemy will still come at us with lies every other time. And we need the truth of God's word. We need the truth and the wisdom of scripture to stand. And, and, then, and then the enemy goes away after he loses that first round. And of course, that was his first loss. And at the death and resurrection of Jesus, that was the final victory. But he kept coming, and he will keep coming. Jesus conquers the devil through a lifestyle he's living. He's living a very, very specific lifestyle marked with certain habits. The habits are called the practices of the way of Jesus. Or they're also called spiritual disciplines. The problem with the term spiritual disciplines is that we, we start thinking that it's for very spiritual people, it's for pros. And, and, and that isn't the idea. Uh, I, how I want you to think about spiritual disciplines is that these are habits that we engage in with, with our material body. We engage in, in spiritual realities. And then we're called to them as a matter of discipline. Practicing, it, practicing them until they become who we are. Spiritual disciplines are any habits you see in the life of Jesus. Any habits you see in the life of Jesus. What things did Jesus keep doing? And you know what, what disciplines do is that they keep us in relationship with Jesus. It's the way we material beings engage with a spiritual God. It's the way we engage our bodies and present ourselves body, mind, and spirit before God, which then opens our soul, opens who, everything we are to, to God's spirit and to God's truth. We cannot really receive the Holy Spirit. We cannot really receive God's truth if it doesn't in, uh, involve all of us. Here is Jesus living his life. How is Jesus living his life and constantly with the Father? I just want to list a few things that you can see throughout the, the Gospels. One, he's constantly withdrawing to be alone, right? That's what we call silence and solitude. Jesus goes without food to starve the flesh and feed from the Holy Spirit. That's what we call fasting. Jesus has a habit of being with the Father in prayer. 
Prayer wasn't, oh, I prayed today. It was a way he, co- he, he was in communion with the Father. Jesus has his worldview and identity shaped by Scripture. He once said, like George told us at the beginning of this year, that all of Scripture is about him. He was looking at the book of Job and he was seeing himself. He was looking at Genesis and he was seeing himself. His entire identity and worldview was shaped by Scripture. Jesus constantly goes to the temple and to the synagogue and lives in community with 12 people. Jesus speaks up for the least of these and does something about for the least of these. Mercy and justice. Jesus joins God in his mission on earth. He goes everywhere proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And in the final act of victory, Jesus, who has been taking up his cross, dies on the cross. Sorry, I thought, I thought that was you pointing at something. So, this is how Jesus lives. If we want the life of Jesus, if we want the victory of Jesus, we must take on ourselves the lifestyle of Jesus. And I want to, so just going back, we've been talking about spiritual warfare, and I just want us to focus a little bit on this particular warfare and how Jesus won the battle with the devil in the desert that day. So, um, one, one he, uh, he's, he's, le- he's full of the power of the Holy Spirit and is led by the Holy Spirit. We have to be a people. We have to be a people who practice the presence of God. We have to be a people who long to host the presence of God. We have to be a people who, who learn to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is alone, right? He's not, he's not giving in to FOMO, you know, oh, what's happening? What's, what's John doing tonight? What's, who's Peter hosting tonight? He doesn't have his roommate. He doesn't have his family. He doesn't have uh, his iPhone. He does, he's just alone, quietly praying. He, he has silenced all external uh, 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 inputs so that he can face down his own internal inputs and just be with the Father. And you would think that with Jesus being alone, he would be lonely and at his weakest. You would think that Jesus, uh, having fasted for 40 days, he must be weak. You would think that, that all, the, all the denying of his own, uh, uh, um, uh, of, of, of of the flesh that Jesus is doing, you'd think he must be very sad and at his weakest because that's what the world tells us. Actually, quite the opposite. The devil finds Jesus at his strongest despite all that. So Luke actually writes at the end of this encounter, when the devil had finished with his tempting, he left him until another opportune time. He came at him for 40 days, came at him for 40 days and couldn't crack him. He found Jesus at his strongest despite, despite all these things that the world would tell us how, what, 40 days? What are you doing? I have never fasted for 40 days. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure I want, anyway, sorry. So, so I, 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 I am uh, still a very tiny human being. So spiritual disciplines are, and that might be very politically incorrect, I have learned this. Um, Sorry, now we're getting lost. Anyway, spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare. 
The practices of the way of Jesus are how we win the battle against the enemy, against our flesh, against the devil. The practices of the way of Jesus are how we fight. The enemy will keep coming at you. Just because you don't see him doesn't mean he's not coming at you. Just because you don't believe he exists doesn't mean he's not coming at you. And if you're going to fight and fight well, the practices of Jesus are the way we do it. Death and defeat came through the first Adam, but in Jesus, the second Adam, we have victory and life. Now, if you live your life the same way the first Adam lived, then you will, re you will, you will be formed into that. If we live our lives the same way Jesus, the second Adam, lived, we will be formed into that. Jesus, Jesus um, did not just live his life and die for us, that is true. He also lived his life and died to show us how we must live and be ready to die. Take up your cross and follow me. If anyone wants to be my disciple, you must take up your cross. He didn't just take up his cross to die for you. That is very true. He took up his cross to show you how you must live. So do you want life? Do you want to fight well? Do you want the life of Jesus? You must live the lifestyle of Jesus. Your lifestyle is perfectly uh, 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 wired to produce the life you, you have right now. If you have a, a, a life of, of anxiety, if you have a life of, of uh, that's, you're, you're, it's just, um, you're struggling with sin, and, I, and I'm not trying to diminish any of that. Some are deep health struggles, uh, and, and at the same time, your lifestyle is perfectly designed to produce the life you see. And so if you desire the life of Jesus, you must live the lifestyle of Jesus. And, and what, how is the lifestyle of Jesus? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must be empowered by the Holy Spirit and our lives must be marked by silence and solitude, fasting, prayer, scripture, community, uh, mercy and justice, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel, taking up your cross that's the lifestyle of jesus and that's my invitation to us as we finish spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare this is how we fight the battle now today i just want to highlight only two of those that i feel are quite important in the heat of battle one Solitude and silence or quiet prayer alone. Jesus is alone in the desert. This battle finds Jesus alone in the desert. He does not have any other inputs from friends, from family, from Instagram, from Facebook, from your favorite news channel. No, he is alone in the desert. He goes to a place where he can minimize all external inputs and noise. But he's not just getting rid of external inputs. He is facing down his own internal inputs. So sometimes there are voices that come from within us. Actually, the primary way that the devil lies to us is voices inside us. Silence and solitude isn't like, it can be very therapeutic, that's good. But, but as a spiritual discipline, that's not really the design. It's not, oh. I withdrew away to just be silent by myself and now I feel a lot better. Silence and solitude is actually the, the place of spiritual warfare. It's right in the middle of the battle. Um, it's the furnace of transformation. 
And many of us fear silence and solitude because we find that there's nothing between us and God when we're quiet. That's why we, we'd rather not. We'd rather be, always be where people are singing and dancing and shouting. Are there people you just meet and they, and immediately they start quoting, like, whoa, hold up. Like, we're always, always having some sort of output and, and, some, and a lot of noise around us. And, and, and um, because we're afraid when we're silent and alone, we find that there's nothing between us and God. Actually, some of us are, are afraid of, of being alone because we'll, we'll discover our own thought patterns. We don't want to be with our thoughts alone. The thing is, silence and solitude exposes your thought patterns. And we learn, and we learn in silence and solitude to give our attention to God, after which our affections will follow. Without quiet prayer, Without silence and solitude, you and I will remain victims of our society, going, going with any new ideology around sexuality, going with any new political ideology, going with any new economic ideology and getting divided and getting hurt and getting deformed. We'll be victims of our society and culture, and then we'll continue to be tied into the, the illusion of the false self. That, that, that part of you that says you are wise enough to determine all that is good and bad. So Jesus is found in quiet prayer. The other one I want to highlight is scripture. Three attacks, three responses. And each time the enemy says something, Jesus responds in scripture. But it's not like a magical inc uh, incantation. It's, you know... You, so uh, many of you have watched Bollywood movies and, and when they, uh, they depict uh, uh, some sort of demonic attack, someone quotes scripture da, 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 as if it's an incantation and boom, that demon disappears. And, and that's probably why in Kenya you have so many shops that the first thing you do is paint scripture on the wall because that's how you protect your shop. This is not how Jesus is doing it. Scripture isn't uh, some sort of... Um, um, in, in, incantation, magic incantation to get rid of the devil. Actually, um, if, you, if you pay attention, the devil quotes scripture back. The devil quotes scripture back. But how is Jesus winning? Uh, and, and again, Jesus is not using scripture like the old paradigms of, of, of the religiosity that covered this nation where scripture is about winning arguments. Yes, that's John 5.35. You know, but, but it says here, no, it's, Jesus isn't trying to, to argue with the devil to win an argument with scripture. He's instead leaning on words and truth that have deeply formed him and whose wisdom he trusts with his life. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what Jesus is doing. In the darkest hours, uh, darkest hours, wow, that sounds big. Uh, during my most difficult times last year, I, I, I sang Psalm, Psalm 13 over and over again. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me? And, and it's, it's just this lament and, and like how, what happened, where were you? I followed you into the deep. And, and, and as I complained with Psalm 13, I liked how it ended with, but, uh, uh, but I trust in your unfailing love. 
The way scripture is meant for formation, not information. I mean, you could use it for information, and it will work some, but it will be like using a claw hammer to dig a hole. I mean, it could dig a hole, but that's not what it was meant for. Scripture was meant for formation. It's the kind of literature that does not give up its secrets when you read it the fifth time or when you read it the 50th time, even when you read it the 500th time. It's the kind of literature that we're invited to journey with. And over time, we become deeply formed by its truth. We will have questions, we will have doubts, but as we journey with Scripture, we become a people who are deeply formed by its truth, and we can lean on its truth and wisdom. This is what Jesus is doing. Sadly, our reality today is that we spend a lot more time with every other voice but the voice of truth. We have a lot more screen time on Instagram and on TV. We have a lot more uh, time spent with every other, you know, nothing. Sadly, so many people hear God's word spoken when they come to church on Sunday. That one moment, the church will, lead, will read scripture out loud. Here's the thing. We are what we think. We are what we think. You become what you give your mind to. Attention is the beginning of affection. Every time people who've known each other go or fall in love and it's, oh my goodness, it's like a Disney movie. And then they go, I don't know what happened. We knew each other for 10 years. And then it's like, you know, what has changed is you finally started paying attention to each other. And then affection grew. You're like, oh my word, that's her style. That's his, oh my word. Attention is the beginning of affection. So, so we have an invitation to constantly be found in scripture because the more we pay our attention to God, the more our affection for God will grow. And this is how we get formed. We literally form new neural pathways in our brains that impact how we behave and that becomes who we are. Scripture invites us to think deeply of God, to think rightly of God, and to think always of God. I want to call back the band as we finish. Why don't you stand? I just want to invite all of us to just stay there in a bit of silence and let's just wait on the Holy Spirit for a bit. I encourage you to close your eyes, just not because it's any more spiritual, just because you don't want to be distracted. And should distraction come, just center yourself again. Lord, come. Come with your presence, come with your peace. To, um, respond to the things the Father is putting in your heart now. It can look like silence and total peace. It could be an image that the Spirit of God will bring. It could be a word of knowledge or word of prophecy, in which case I just invite you to come share it with me and we can share it with the church. 
नोट करो Some of you might even experience your bodies re- reacting to what's happening and that's okay. We need your presence. I have a sense that some of us walked into this room today with just the enemy the enemy's voice was condemning you how could you how could you the lord would just silence the voice of condemnation silence the voice of condemnation And so if that was you right after this if you want to come for prayer we'd love to pray with you Lord we receive your victory if there are, if there are any of us right in the deep of warfare i ask that your presence covers us once more those who feel that they are right in the center of the fire i speak comfort over you Yeah. Yeah, and just it's another thing I'm, I'm I'm sensing I just remembered sharing my story and I feel like some of you feel disappointed and and you're just going God how could you and would love to pray with you and the father invites that lament Father invites that lament. He'd love to show you right where he was when everything crumbled.
So Holy Spirit, I ask that you strengthen us. I ask that you fill us again. I ask that you bring us into community around people who we will journey with. I ask that your resurrection becomes what we step into even as we carry our cross. Lord, we receive you as the lion and the slain lamb of God. We receive you as our victory. Yeah, for those who's, who are battling addictions, God is right in the thick of it with you. God is right in the thick of it with you. And I just speak victory over you. It's so good to have celebrated Samuel last Sunday. He's been clean for uh, one year, six months, or something like that. And I know uh, one of us, Toet, who's, who's been clean now for a month and he's still battling, he's thanking God. Lord, we bless you because you're breaking chains. You're breaking chains. You're setting people free. And we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And so we just speak that over this community. Just break chains of addiction, Lord. Break chains of addiction. Addiction to pornography, addiction to, to drugs and alcohol, addiction to self-demeaning thought patterns. We receive your victory, Lord. So I'm going to bless and release us. The band will still lead worship and you're invited to remain in the presence of God. And uh, our prayer teams are moving to the back. If you feel you want to respond to those three things I've said, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, you're free to go. Please say hi to someone before you leave. And you're free to stay in worship until you're ready to go. So I bless you now to go into the city, to your families, to your friends, amongst total strangers. And live in the reality that you stand in Jesus, who is victorious over all things. I declare that you are free from, from patterns of thought that have, have stolen joy and have kept you in bondage and have kept you in a sense of losing. I pray that you will receive the Holy Spirit over and over again each morning, each evening, each noontime, and you will step in obedience to the Holy Spirit. I bless you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. See you again next week.